Amen. Good. So here we are. I think we're going to have a citizen slide come up any second now. That was just a little prod. Um, so we're coming to the end of our citizens uh, series. And um, hasn't it been a great time? I, I missed the last two and I listened to them. I listened to the podcast on the, on the church suite or on, on the website. And it's been an amazing, amazing teaching about what it is, as it says on there when it comes up just now, to be secure citizens of heaven, living as great citizens of earth. This, this series has been on the book of Daniel, the first six chapters of the book of Daniel. And it's really about how do we, as Christians, make God known to this world by how we live. Uh, not just our words, although absolutely words are important. In fact, they're critical. You can't just live and not speak. Um, but it's also the way we live. How do we show ourselves to be secure citizens of heaven, living as great citizens of earth? Um, and I don't know about you, but as you go through those first six chapters and, 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 and you just see, we're talking about four Jewish exiles that lived, I think, about two and a half thousand years ago. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or as the latter three are more commonly known by the Babylonian names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what is amazing, and, and actually it shouldn't surprise you, because when you read the Bible, I don't know about you, but what I did started to do some years ago is I started to read the Bible from end to end. Because I found when I was jumping around in the Bible that I, I, just, was, I, I, was, I just didn't know which book to read next after finishing a book. And it, it felt a bit disjointed. And so can I encourage you? I'm, I'm not telling you this is what you should do. But I found it really helpful if I read the Bible from Genesis chapter 1 through to Revelation chapter, thank you. I, I knew it was 20 something, but I, I didn't know it was 20. I was going to say 24 and embarrass myself. Because it's a narrative. The Bible, actually, when you read the Bible, it's a story. And it's, it's linked. And if you, it's, it's like if you, I was on holiday last week, and I read John Grisham. I like to read a John Grisham when I'm on holiday. Why? Because I quite like him as an author. But two, I never read novels except on holiday, and they're kind of okay, they're interesting, they're all about legal things, and they don't have smut or anything in them. And so, you know, if I read a John Grisham novel and started in chapter 14 and then went to chapter 3 and then went to chapter 28, it just, it just wouldn't work, would it? And so when we read the Bible, we need to start reading the Bible as a narrative and see the story you know, I love Genesis 1. Every time I speak, I always talk about Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. You know, it starts with God, and it ends with God, and it's a narrative and a story of people that are made in God's image that fall away, that go into exile, that God rescues and brings back. And he keeps saying that story over and over again. He chooses a people. They're the Jewish people. He chooses Abraham, or Abram as he is known. I think he was probably uh, what we would consider to be Iraq, Iraqi, that part of the world. And, and, and God led him into the promised land and, and formed the people of Israel so that what? He could, he, through the people of Israel, he could bring Jesus and save us. And then we look at the people of Israel 
and they keep going away from God and God keeps pulling them back and they go into exile and God brings them back again. That's the salvation story over and over again. So read your Bible like that, I'd encourage you. Begin in, 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 in the first book of Genesis and go through it. You won't regret it. And so 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11 speaks about this. It says this, Now these things happen to them, that is to Israel, as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Do you know that we're living in the end of the ages? And so what we see in the Old Testament, what we see through the narrative of the people of Israel, it says it's there as an example. It's there, it's written down for our instruction. What for us? So that we can learn from it. And we've had a wonderful five weeks going through the first five books of Daniel, learning and being instructed from the story and the narrative of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's an amazing thing. It's about them becoming exiled. You know, it's a wonderful, wonderful history lesson. Study it. I mean, Philip's a history teacher, so you, you know, it really comes out when, when he talks. But it happened. It's a historical fact. Read about it. And the, the, the Jewish people were in, were, this, these were people in Judah and Jerusalem, and they, you know, they, just, they went away from God, and God warned them and warned them and warned them through the prophets, and then eventually God said, okay, I'm going to put you into exile. And King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came along over around Jerusalem and took away the Jewish, or certainly the nobles and certain people uh, from Jerusalem into exile. And so, yeah, the story of each chapter, as we've said, gives us instruction on how we should live in this world, now as citizens of heaven whilst on earth. It shows Daniel and his three friends as exiles, as we are. The Bible talks about us as being exiles. As Christians, we're foreigners and we're exiles. And so we can learn, right, from these four exiles and what God did in and through them. So Philippians 3.20 states that our citizenship is in heaven. Because Daniel was anchored in God, he was able to be a blessing where he was and through his life, his words, his attitudes and his actions, he revealed God to a lost people. And that's the example that we find and that's the example that we are to follow because our citizenship is in heaven and because we are foreigners and exiles in this world. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 29 from verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people who Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. As I mentioned earlier, that's the historical fact. This was after King Jeconiah, so you'll have to excuse my pronunciations, and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, which included, I would say, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem, and the letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and Jemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, it says, Thus says the Lord Almighty, sorry, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent 
into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives of your sons for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find welfare. And so this was a letter that was sent to the exiles. This was a command that was given to those exiles. And you know what? We can apply it to ourselves. The words are true to us as well, where it says you should, at the end of verse 6, it talks about you should multiply and not decrease. What are we doing as Christians? Are we multiplying and not decreasing? But as Christians, we need to seek the welfare of the city where we have been sent into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Now the command of God that God gave at that time is as true for us today as it was back then. Like I said, we're called aliens and foreigners in this world. 1 Peter 2.11 talks about that. And Jesus himself said, we are not of this world, although we are in the world in John 17 verse 16. Yet we are called to live in the world and be fulfillment of what Jesus actually prayed when he, when he taught his disciples to pray in, in Matthew 6.10 where he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is God's kingdom and how is his will executed? Through what agency is he able to do that? It's through us. It's through each one of us through the body of Christ. And so, you know, as a young Christian, when I, I, I became a Christian, I gave my heart to the Lord when I was very, very young, um, and then I drifted away from God. And just when I was about 16 or 17, I came back to God. And at that time, I really, I was captured by two people in the Old Testament that really, really captured my, my heart. And they were Joseph and Daniel. I don't know why, but I just saw in those two people and those two men was that they, they, they were both examples of how you can live life in this world. They didn't have an easy life. They didn't have, you know, everything didn't go together, but God was with them. God blessed them. God prospered them in the midst of the difficulties that they faced. Now, I threatened Lauren, who's here today, to sing Bohemian Rhapsody uh, from Queen. But, you know, at the same time, as I, in, in my teenage years, you know, Queen was my, you know, they were my idols. I, I, they, they were absolutely number one when it came to, oh, I don't know if you'd call them pop or rock bands. But, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody, I don't know if you know, was voted the, the, the number one song in the 20th uh, century. But you've got to listen to the words, and I won't sing it. I threatened to sing it, but I won't sing it. Where it says this, is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide, no escape from reality. Open your eyes, look up to the skies and see. I'm just a poor boy, I need no sympathy. Because I'm easy come, easy go, little high, a little low, Anywhere the wind blows doesn't really matter to me. To me. <laughs> I'm just a poor boy. Nobody loves me. He's just a poor boy from a poor family. 
Spare him his life from this monstrosity. Easy come, easy go. Will you let me go? Nothing really matters to me. And that was my anthem as a non-Christian teenager. Nothing really matters to me. I'm just a poor boy from a poor family. I don't really care. Nothing really matters to me. I was that boy. But when Jesus captured me as a 17-year-old, he gave me a choice. Did I follow the waves of this world? Was easy come, easy go, anywhere the wind blows? Or would I be captured by God like Joseph and Daniel were? Something really did matter in my life. And was I prepared to give my whole life to God as they did, to be different to the prevailing culture, as we have learned they were, and we'll see some more this morning, and to live as citizens of heaven and allow God to direct my steps, even, though hard time, even through hard times as well as good. I loved the Bible. You know why I loved the Bible? Because it's not sugar-coated, right? If I write the Bible, it would be different. Okay. I'd drop some of the books, and I'd kind of gloss over some of the more difficult parts. But God's not like that. Why? Because God doesn't sugarcoat anything. God is truth. And as we see in this, in, in this story, in, in Daniel chapter 6, as we, we come to it now, we'll see that despite the challenges and difficulties, Daniel was able to live as a true citizen of heaven and reflect what God wanted him to do in his life. And so, you know, Daniel was in a very, very difficult situation. We've heard about it in the last five years. He was in exile. He was a Jew. He was, in, he was in this pagan nation. And so we live in an increasing post-Christian culture, don't we? Yeah? And it's becoming more challenging to live as, by Christian values, isn't it? I like a bit of feedback. Yeah. It's true. It is. We are living in a post-Christian culture and it is becoming more challenging to live Christian values. Before, it was kind of the done thing. Now, it is not. And Joseph and Daniel are very practical examples of how we live in a hostile environment and not just survive, but thrive. And to be a people that God blesses in order to be a blessing. Because you see, despite the hard times, when we look at Daniel, he thrived in God. And through that, through the blessing that God gave him, it wasn't only a blessing to him, but it was a blessing to others. And not only to the Jews, but to the pagans as well. Why? Because we need to seek the welfare of the city in which we live. Secure citizens of heaven, living as great citizens of earth. So this brings us full circle to Daniel chapter 6. That's my introduction. I've only got half an hour left for the main part. So this is Daniel and the lion's den. Ooh. Now, we all see this, or sometimes if we've grown up as Christians, we kind of look at these stories as kind of like children's stories, don't we? Oh, Daniel and the lion's den. Jonah and the whale. Noah and the ark. Nice little children's stories just to sort of, you know, tickle the ears of the kids. No, this isn't a children's story. This is, this is, this is a horrible story because you see people actually get eaten by lions. All right? But this is real. You know, if you want to read a great book, there's a, there's a, 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 a book um, on uh, Noah by the guy in America. What's his name? In New York, Tim Keller. That's the one. 
Tim Keller has written a fantastic book uh, uh, on, uh, you know, about the um, Jonah and the whale. And I'd encourage you, if you can, to read it. Because there's so much that we can get out of this. And as I was reflecting on Daniel chapter 6, three things came to mind when I looked at Daniel's life and how he lived it. Firstly, he was first and foremostly faithful to God. Daniel was faithful to God. Secondly, he lived in the fear of God, not of man. And ultimately, when the chips were down, his faith was in God. So you always got to have three points to a sermon, right? And there needs to be alliteration. After Pete did about 27 Ps uh, a couple of weeks back, uh, I just thought, I've got to have a little bit of alliteration. So I landed on three, so sorry, Pete. Even my sub-points I couldn't put into F. So, But faithful to God, the fear of God, and faith in God. So let's turn to Daniel chapter 6. We're going to read through the whole chapter, but not all at once. You'll be happy to know. So I've broken it down to bite-sized chunks. And let's firstly see how was Daniel faithful to God. So Daniel chapter 6, from verse 1 to verse 5. So it pleased, Darius, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him above the whole kingdom. Wow. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. What a statement. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. May we be people that people could say that about us where they would say we can find no ground for complaint or error in that person, except if we trip them up because they're Christians and because of their faith. And so Daniel here, in Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is no longer a young man. He was exiled, we think around about 15 years old. He was with Nebuchadnezzar for 45 years or so. Okay. So that brings us to 60. There was another king, before we get to see a little bit more of the story around Darius, and then what the story from last week that Philip spoke about with Belshazzar. And Belshazzar actually, it appears historically, was not the king in the line of, of, of Nebuchadnezzar, but they were having problems with the, with the Medes and the, and the Persians at the time, and it looks like the one king took himself away into exile, and this guy Belshazzar uh, came along, and then um, uh, Darius uh, the Mede, uh, together with Cyrus the Persian, overran Babylon. So that's a quick history lesson. I'm sure Philip would have given it far better than me. But what we find here was that time between Nebuchadnezzar 
And um, when uh, Darius came along, we think it was about another 20 years. So if you, if you got your maths right, 15 plus 45 plus 20 years, 80. So Daniel was no longer a young man. Okay. He was about 80 years old at the time as the, uh, that Darius came along. And Darius identified Daniel as one of his three officials, as it says in that scripture, to, um, as one of the three high officials set over the 120 satraps. Satraps, I believe, were like provisional, pro, uh, provincial uh, governors to ensure that the king suffered no loss. What does that mean? The king wanted to make sure that everything that he had was protected. And he saw, he saw in Daniel as someone that would do that uh, for him. So, the king, Darius, planned to promote Daniel. And what often happens is that other people got a bit jealous. And so this is what got him into trouble. And you know, the irony of the story here is that you'll see Daniel never sought promotion. It doesn't see that Daniel was there for promotion. In fact, the 20 years between Nebuchadnezzar uh, and when Belshazzar got killed, um, there's, no, there's nothing about Daniel. And so, as Philip mentioned last week, maybe he was sidelined for that time. You know, the great, you know, the great leader, the great prophet during Nebuchadnezzar's time, when the new king came along, was just quietly, you know, put to pasture or whatever, the, you know, uh, um, retired in, in common parlance. And, and yet, he came back into prominence with Belshazzar, and we see that he's back into prominence with, um, with Darius as well. So, why was Daniel distinguished? What set him apart from his peers? It says there in the strip, scripture, first of all, is because he had an excellent spirit, and then secondly, because he was faithful. Clearly, Daniel excelled in everything that he did. But the root of its actions, as it said here, was that he had an excellent spirit. What, what does that mean? As I was thinking about it and just sort of studying it and looking at the words and everything else, another way of putting it is that he allowed his spirit to excel. And that's a subtle difference, but I think an important one. So he allowed his spirit to direct and lead him. And from a young age, you realize that Daniel had clearly put God at the center of his life and on the throne of his being. And so when it says that he had an excellent spirit and he allowed his spirit to excel, he was led by his spirit, where God was enthroned. In a sense, he was led by the spirit of God. When you look back in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, we see that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the king's food or with wine. Why? Was this an early advertisement, you know, to become a vegetarian or a vegan? No, I don't believe so, right? Why is that? It's because he was a Jew. And Jews ate meat and Jews drank wine. So why did he not eat the meat and drink the wine that the king had offered him? One of the reasons, especially around the food, is possibly because being a Jew, food, food needed to be kosher. It needed to be done in a way, prepared in a way, and only certain meats could be eaten according to the Torah or the law of God. But that doesn't deal with wine. There's nothing that talks about wine except not to get drunk. So why didn't he do that? And I believe that Daniel didn't want to allow himself to be 
absorbed, as it were, into the ways and the culture of the Babylonians. So it wasn't so much that it was because the food wasn't kosher or he didn't want to drink the wine. It was because I don't want to be defiled by what you, King Nebuchadnezzar, have. I want to keep myself separate. Philip mentioned this last week. What does holiness mean? Does anybody know what it means to be set apart? And so Daniel, right from a young man, right, right from an age of 15 or 16 years old, in the courts of the king of Nebuchadnezzar, it would have been so easy for him to be overcome by the wealth, the majesty, and everything else. I know, you know, I like food, and I quite like wine as well, so I would have been thought, wow, this is, we're going to get the good stuff, right? This is the good stuff. But no, Daniel was an honorable man, far more honorable than me. And he said, I'm going to allow my spirit to excel. I'm going to allow my spirit to lead me, and I'm not going to allow myself to be defiled by uh, the, the food and the drink and by the lifestyle and the ways and the culture of the Babylonians. He set himself apart. He was truly an exile uh, in that land. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. So Daniel kept his heart from a young age. And, you know, it's not only when you're young you have to do that. You have to continually, continually guard your heart. It's, yeah, time has this way of eroding and diluting things. And so as Christians, we need to keep, keep our heart very, very carefully. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Daniel 6 verse 4 says, Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. I believe that Daniel acted out what Paul recorded several hundred years later in Colossians 3.17, and it says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Your motivation should be whatever you do in word or deed should be done in the name of Jesus because you want to honor God. This should govern everything that you say and do. You don't work hard at school or work hard at work so that your teacher or boss you know, gives you a pat on the back or anything like that. You need to work because you know that you're working for God. When I've spoken to people over the years that have struggled at work and school and challenges with a bad boss or, a, or just a job that's just boring. My encouragement always is Colossians 3.17. I always go back to that and I say to them, you know what? You're working for God. Remember that. Whatever you do, in word or deed, you're working for God. Do it as if you're working for God. And then God will bless you. God will promote you as he did with Daniel, as he did with Joseph, as he did with Shadrach, Meshach, and a bendigo. So Daniel had an excellent spirit. He guarded his heart, and he wouldn't allow himself to be defiled by the ways of the world. He was faithful to God, and his motivation was not to please man, but to please God. And as a result of that, he was a blessing to all around him. In obedience to God's command, he sought the welfare of the city, as we saw earlier, where he was in exile. So next... Part, verse 6. Point 2, fear of God. So firstly, God, Daniel was faithful to God. Secondly, Daniel feared God and not men. 
Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the, lions, to the, into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. And therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. And then go on to verse 10. When Daniel knew what the, that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God, and they came near and said to the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, all the injunction you have signed, but makes a petition three times a day. I truly believe that the bedrock of Daniel's faithfulness was the fact that he fellowshiped with God three times a day. A couple of weeks back when I was starting to sort of, it takes me a while to get my mind sort of thinking about what, we're gonna, what I'm going to preach on before I actually sort of sit down and start putting pen to paper as it were. I thought, I know, I'm going to be like Daniel and pray three times a day. Guess what? I failed. I didn't. And I have no excuse, but I didn't. And here was Daniel. He was a man of God, and he got down on his knees, and he worshipped God, and he prayed to God, and I truly believe that he studied the word of God and all he had at that time was the Torah, right? It was the law and maybe some other uh, books. I'm not 100% sure. But he didn't have what we now have called the, the, the Bible, right? But he was there. He was a faithful man of prayer and study. And he did it three times a day. And he refused to stop, even at great cost. And I was, I was thinking about this again. Another song from my youth came into my head. Except it wasn't a famous song like the Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. But it was that song, it's like a little ditty, I think it's called. It says, I won't sing it either. Read your Bible, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day. And you'll grow, grow, grow. If you take anything away from this morning, take that song in your head. If we want to be like Daniel, if we want to be people that really reflect God in this world, if we want to be light in the darkness like Daniel clearly was, we need to spend time fellowshipping with God. Let me encourage you, if you're not reading your Bible and praying regularly, 
you're not going to grow. You're going to become weak. It's like food and drink. You know, we've got a few new babies in the room today and a few more on the way. Those babies need to feed and drink regularly to grow. It's the same with us. If we're not regularly spending time with God, we're not going to grow. We're going to become weak. And when we become weak, we become susceptible to disease. We, we become weak and we become susceptible to, to, to many different problems. And so the encouragement is like Daniel. You know, he read his Bible. Well, he, he studied, I'm sure, the law at the time. And he prayed to God three times a day. John 1.1 1, 1 talks about, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When you read your Bible, you're fellowshipping with God. God speaks to you. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. I can't, cannot overemphasize the importance of feeding on God's word and fellowshipping with him through prayer. My experience is when I stop fellowshipping with God regularly, my faith becomes weak and my witness suffers. Has anybody ever experienced that? Amen. It's true. So a man of excellent spirit... So when, what is interesting in, in verse 10, we see when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem and he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. What is this saying? It is saying that ultimately Daniel feared God above the fear of men. Right? He was about to lose his position, his power and his life but he chose to put God first. It says, it doesn't say immediately, but you get the, the feeling that when Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to pray and to worship God, knowing that that's what would cause his death, and yet he ran to God because he knew that that was the only place where he would be secure in God, and he prayed. And so he feared God above man, it says in Proverbs 9 verse 10 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And Proverbs 21 verse, 28 verse 1 says the wicked flee when no one pursues them but the righteous are as bold as a lion. We need to be prepared to stand up to truth, to be different when the current culture is becoming less and less godly. We may not face death in the lion's den but we face choices every day, don't we? at our work, at our school, wherever we may find ourselves. Are we going to fear God and put his ways first? Or are we going to allow what is becoming this current, this cultural tsunami, as I call it, that is coming against us? Are we going to just allow it to overcome us? Or are we going to stand up for what is truth? I just asked Lauren if she would quickly share for one or two minutes just an example of this that she found that she faced when she was at school just a couple of weeks back. Lauren, do you want to use that? Yeah, so a couple of few weeks ago, actually, in school, I got appointed a senior prefect and a head of house. And I knew this was coming to challenges, but I didn't realize how quickly 
school and this was the Rainbow Laces Trust. So this is supporting the LGBTQ plus community and what they wanted to do was to sell the rainbow laces to the whole school, uh, get them to put them in their shoes for sports day that was a few weeks ongoing and um, I knew this was, this was a, it, it hit me immediately as they asked me to do it and I was like yeah this goes, this, this goes right against my faith and it took me a couple of days to figure out what I wanted to do I prayed about it I didn't tell my parents I, I kept just pursuing into God um, but I felt him really challenging me saying this is not what for you to do do not follow the crowd go against what um, the school is wanting you to do and I didn't know what this would mean for my being appointed and what um, my fellow peers would think about me and even teachers would think about me so I went to my head of sixth form and I told her, I'm not, I'm not keen about doing this. And she was lovely. She told me, never let anyone put, like, force you to do anything that you don't want to do. She, she really respected my faith. And she really, she, that, that shocked me, that she was so respectful of my faith. And so were my peers. What I was most concerned about was what they would think of me when they would be running with all their rainbow laces in their shoes and I just have my plain white ones. But... It was, I came home and I told my parents, and not only did I feel their pride, but I also immediately felt the father's pride. And that was, that was, that was a, a real commitment. And I think, yeah, it definitely made my faith grow stronger in that place of school where sometimes it can be really difficult. Thank you, Laurie. <laughs> 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of salvation. We need to fear God, not man, as Daniel did and as Lauren did in that very real example just a few weeks back. And then finally, what happened to Daniel? Daniel put his faith in God. Turn to, we're now in verse 14, and it says, Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, verse 16, and Daniel was brought and, brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Isn't that amazing that he was able to say that? And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. I find it really interesting at this point that who's the worried one? It's not Daniel. You see no worry or fear from Daniel. It's the king. The king's the one that has the sleepless 
night. Why? It's because it was actually the king that was trapped by those satraps and leaders. It wasn't Daniel. And why was that? Because the king had his faith in the law of the Medes and the Persians, and Daniel's faith was in God. And so it was actually that king that was entrapped. It wasn't Daniel. Like his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel put his faith in God, regardless of the outcome. You remember what Pete spoke about in Daniel chapter 3? Verse, from verse 16 to verse 18, I'll just read verse 18 for the sake of time. This is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego speaking to Nebuchadnezzar and saying that God would deliver them from, out of his hand and out of the furnace. But they said in verse 18, But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Daniel applied the same principle. I put my faith in God. God is able to deliver me, and even if he chooses not to, I will continue to serve and worship God. Daniel's faith was in God. Let's carry on. Then at break of day, the king arose and went at in haste to the den of the lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he, ca- he cried out in a tone of anguish after a sleepless night. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in God. And then, I won't read it, but then the king took those guys that actually trapped him, the leaders and the satraps and their families, and threw them in the lion's den. Where is it? What's interesting in this, the last verses that we read, and also in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that God had preserved Daniel in the same way he preserved them. And how did God do it? God did it by sending his angel, his messenger, to close the mouth, to close the mouth of the lions. And who was this messenger sent by God? Anybody got any idea? I think it was Jesus. You remember the fourth man in the furnace was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walking around having a little chat whilst the furnace was blazing? It was a messenger. It was, it was, it was someone like the Son of God it mentions. And, and I believe again, as we see with Daniel, God sends a messenger, an angel, someone that, that a messenger on his behalf. I'm not 100% sure, but when you look at the Bible and everything else, you see it time and time again. There are shadows and examples of Jesus. And so, as we come to the end of the series on citizens and what it means to live a life on earth as exiles, but also as citizens of heaven, and we've learned from Daniel chapter 6 that Daniel was firstly faithful to God. Secondly, he lived in the fear of God. And ultimately, his faith was God. This resulted in his deliverance 
and promotion. But far more important than that, it pointed people to Jesus. Daniel had put his trust, his faith in God, and through Jesus he was delivered. This is the gospel, right? This is, this is the good news. Daniel 6 goes on, because what does the king say? It says in verse 25, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that, all, that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lion's den. These were the words of a pagan king. If you read earlier in Daniel chapter 4, on two occasions, King Nebuchadnezzar says very, very similar things. You know, after um, uh, the um, fiery furnace, um, and there was one other area, but he, he, he declared the wonders of God and, and, and honored God and worshipped God. And then it goes on to say, so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. What a witness. Wouldn't it be wonderful if your boss or your colleague or your relative was, that doesn't believe in God would be able to say after looking at your life, be able to give glory to God? Daniel lived his life for God. His eyes were focused on the heavenly city. Even in his darkest hour, he had faith in God. And everything, absolutely everything that he did pointed towards Jesus. And in his darkest hour when he was in the lion's den, there was Jesus to deliver him and to set him free. And yet, I wanted, we just don't have time, I was going to go into Hebrews 11 and just look at the, the, the witnesses. You know, the, the, that's the, the, the chapter of faith. But you see that some people were delivered, but not all. Some were killed. Some were, you know, sawn in half. Others were stoned. You know, different things. And so it's not that God always gives you the way out, but he's with you in that situation. And ultimately, as we know, God will deliver us, even if standing up for him requires our life as it did his son, Jesus Christ. Shall we stand together? I want to read 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12 again, just as, as we close. It says, Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. So as we wrap up the series on Daniel, as we wrap up the series on citizens, being secure citizens in heaven, living as great citizens on earth. My prayer for each of us would be that you know, people would see our good deeds, 
and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Father, I just thank you for today. I thank you, Lord, for your presence. I thank you, Father, that you speak to us through your word. Lord, we thank you that you gave us this story and this example, Lord, to point us to Jesus, because it's all about Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray this morning as as I've tried to just lay out the principles that we find, the examples and the teachings that we see in Daniel chapter 6. I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to each of our hearts. And Father, you would just, yeah, do a good work in each one of us. Lord, we just want to be like Daniel. We want to be that person that is faithful to you. We want to be that person that fears you despite the difficulties and the challenges that we face and that ultimately, Lord, that our faith is in you and that we find our salvation in Jesus as Daniel did in the lion's den. Amen.